As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Arthur Staple here. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Just want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. We're excited to have back our guest co-host for a second week, Islanders Hall of Famer Dennis Potvin. Dennis, as always, a great pleasure to have you. I just wanted to know right off the bat, you were at the opening ceremonies for UBS Arena this weekend. What did you make of the place and the whole event? No, I'll give you an idea how I felt. I was being interviewed uh, just shortly after I walked in and had a, a little bit of a tour. You know, we, we weren't able to take a look at the dressing rooms and all that stuff. And I, I was real literally speechless, you know, because as you walk in, you're hit with the feeling of like going into a major law firm, you know, or the boardroom and, you know, that furniture is antique. And I, I mean, it really is something that is quite impressive, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, the nineties, you know, Arthur, you and I were around and, you know, the buildings that were new, you know, there are a lot of cement and a lot of steel mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. There was nothing of that. I mean, it was really a very, very impressive building. Yeah, and and having been at I, I was under the weather, so I wasn't able to be at the games, but I'd been there for the Islanders' practice earlier in the week. It has a lot of touches that mean a lot to Islander fans. There's the, the Islanders' Hall of Fame, which I don't know if you remember at the Coliseum, was in the hallway outside the locker room, kind of away from public view. Now all right. those plaques, including yours, are on display for everyone to see, which I think is great. They've got the logos up at one end of the building inside the bowl of all the Islanders meetup groups from around the country and around the world. There's one in Brazil. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I think you, you know where you are with this building, and that, that hasn't really always been the case with this team. Well, you know, the, the thing that I was very impressed with is that we all, uh, you know, I mean, listen, there was Clarkie there and Bobby and I and Eddie Westfall. Uh, Kenny Morrow was with us, John Tinelli. So there's a good, uh, uh, a good group of us that were in, in places around the building where we could actually meet the fans and sign some autographs. So I was in a couple of different places, and everywhere I went, the backdrop was a huge print of one of us, you know, mm-hmm. doing something uh, during our era, and it really kind of made me feel like uh, this is an organization that is not going to forget the alumni. And it wasn't just us. I mean, it wasn't 
just the, the guys that played in the seventies or the eighties or the cup guys, but there was a really very good uh, uh, history, like a roadmap of how the Islanders, you know, got to this building uh, in Elmont, New York. And it was, you know, because of the successes of the various decades. And so it was, it was well, it, it was well demonstrated or uh, presented throughout the building, which of course is, you know, warmed my heart. It was great. It ties in nicely, uh, not so nicely because the Islanders obviously have been in a huge struggle. And we'll talk about that in a little bit between okay. playing on the ice and COVID and all the and injuries. Uh, it's been a bit of a mess for them, but it does tie back to me. We were talking about on the last show, we kind of got up to the, the years through the 70s of the birth of the Islanders and how you guys established yourselves and got so close and so close, but weren't able to get there. 1979-80, the beginning of that season looked a lot like what the 2021-22 Islanders are going through. Did you kind of, you know, you were out with an injury for a long time. Right. The team right. was 6, six 10, and 4 through 20 games. There was talk of Al being fired, of Bill being yeah. fired, the team being broken up. It's not quite that bad now, but do you get some echoes a little bit seeing this team struggle that's got so much expectations on it? You know, listen, uh, you know, Arthur, in 79, uh, we almost uh, were at the point where the team was going to be disbanded. Um, there was talk that, you know, we we're going to have a dispersion draft. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, the, economically, the team was in very, very poor shape. Uh, we were the best team in the NHL. And, uh, you know, Mr. John Pickett stepped up and basically took control of the franchise, uh, not just in the sense of working, but I think that he bought out all of the other owners. And there were like 20, you know, 20 some other owners. Uh, I don't know all the details, but there was a time I remember very clearly when Bill Torrey came in and he said, guys, he said, you know, he, he used the words uh, dispersion draft with kind of hit us over the head with a hammer, right? And then that was a tough year. The first year that I'd been made captain, I missed, I think, over 30 games with uh, the injury to my thumb. Uh, it was serious enough. And I think at Christmas time, 79, we're in 15th place. Uh, but it, it, I don't see it that way now at all. I mean, it, you know, this is totally, you know, I think uh, it, it, you can believe uh, the things you read about 13 games consecutively on the road. Uh, the injuries, key injuries, and then, of course, the COVID. Uh, everything kind of came together in a bad way, in a negative way, for this weekend that was opening up. But I think the fans, you know, kind of looked past that because it sure sounded like it. They they were well behind, you know, the Islanders throughout. A couple of boos here and there, mostly just on the power play. But that's, you know, that happened in our day as well. So I, I don't think it can be compared, Arthur. I think that you know, that was a very different time, but none of those major things like, you know, losing the team. Uh, now, uh, uh, if anything, what I saw in that building with the ownership and the excitement, it just solidified the fact that this is a new home for the current hockey team and a place where they can make their legacy, you know, for the future. Yeah, there were two uh, two guys from your dynasty era who were out there on the ice with you on Saturday who uh, figured pretty prominently in the start of your run when you came back from an injury. First was Kenny Morrow, who I know was your, your deep partner. He came straight from winning a gold medal in Lake Placid to being <laughs> deep partners with Dennis Potvin, which I think was a bigger thrill for him, but meant a lot to you guys. And then a few <laughs> days after that, Bill Torrey's most famous 
trade deadline move, maybe the most famous trade deadline move in the history of the NHL to get Butch Goring. What um, what did those moves kind of signify to you and the rest of the guys? As you had also, you were just coming back. The team was obviously starting to play better. Um, what did they do to kind of catapult you to get on a roll to go into the playoffs in 1980? Well, listen, if, if, uh, if you had to find two pieces of a puzzle uh, that fit perfectly together, that's exactly what happened with Kenny Morrow. Uh, he could not have been a better defense partner for me. He brought to the game a simpleness to the game where, you know, it, he and I knew exactly what the potential was. And Kenny was, you know, always in a position where uh, he was either, you know, backing up or solid, uh, as we always said. But, you know, I always said to Kenny, I said, look, go up the boards or pass it to me. I mean, those are the <laughs> only, only two options. And uh, and we I think we had a very, very good time together. Plus, Kenny ended up, as you know, scoring some incredibly important goals uh, in overtime and empty net goals as the one that he scored in 83 to to clinch the uh, the fourth Stanley Cup in uh, in Long Island, so that that was a tremendous thing. Now, Butch Goring was, you know, I think more. I don't want to say he meant more to us, but we didn't have that top cent- uh, second line centerman, you know, really the top line guy that could score 25, 30 goals each year. You know, when he played, that was a trade that not only helped us on the ice, but we were also looking for maturity because in the dressing room, your superstars were Trotch, Boss, Clarky, you know, uh, Tanelli, Bordy, myself. We were all like in our mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why we weren't there emotionally. And, and I say emotionally, meaning the experience that you need to win in the playoffs in those early years of 78, 79. And Butch brought that, and, and you know, over and above his playing ability. And I think that's where, you know, that trade will always be looked at as probably the very best trade deadline deal uh, the NHL's ever seen. And, of course, you know, the record just shows. He goes on to win, you know, the, the most valuable player in the playoffs uh, when we played against Minnesota. And, you know, so uh, it was a great trade. And I don't want anybody to forget that that year, there was also a guy named Gord Lane that, yeah. that showed up. And Gordy was incredible. He was also another partner of mine on defense. And Gordy brought a toughness and a, a commitment that just added to the lineup. So it's kind of Bill Torrey didn't make, you know, he, he you know, I kind of always thought Bill Torrey, and I use the line, Bill Torrey knew. He seemed to know that this was going to be a good fit. And boy, he made that, those deals over and over again, going all the way back to 75, you know, and June Druin and JP Parise showed up. So uh, Bill made some wonderful deals that got us to that point. Now, we don't want to gloss over 19 straight playoff series wins, which we talked about last week is not a, is a record that is one of those that's never going to be broken. I really don't think you don't think either. It's, no, it's no, one that no. will definitely stand the test of time. And there were a lot of sweeps, especially in the, in the later rounds, once you guys got through some of the tougher early rounds, but there were some moments through that through that run when there were you know that were pretty hairy. I would guess uh, the first round in 1982 probably stands out the most um, against the Penguins, a team right. that finished way behind you. But you know, you always seem to find that that gear that you needed. What was it a matter of 
we know what we need to do when we need to do it. And sometimes it didn't quite kick in when you needed to, or was there just always, you know, it was such a consistent core group of guys too, that, that there was, everybody just knew, just knew when they needed to, to turn on the jets and, and be strong. It was such a different time. And I think you put your finger on it. Uh, we had a, uh, a, a, we had a core of guys that played together for seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I mean, I sat next to trash for almost 15 years. So that was something that after the trades were made, after the team was set, after the meeting, Bill Torrey would have in the dressing room after the trade deadline. And he would always say the same thing. He said, look, we're not making any more moves. The guys that are here, we believe in you. We're going with you. And that was the team. And then after that, they walked out. But I got to tell you, in that dressing room, after that, when it was just us, there wasn't one guy in that uh, dressing room that didn't believe that he could score the overtime game-winning goal. Whether it was Tinelli, Nystrom, Bourne, Trotch, me, anybody. We never, never had that doubt. And that's the feeling I had in the dressing room. That's why when you look through the 80s and our Stanley Cup run, you look at our overtime record. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I think we were winning seven of 10 games in overtime. Uh, that's where the character really shows up when there's nobody else in the room but us. Uh, and I'm very proud of that. I'm proud to be captain of that team. Before we get into the mailbag with Dennis, just want to let everybody know we've got a pretty exciting deal to tell you about today. In fact, it's the best deal we've ever had for new subscribers. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're at least a little bit familiar with what we're about at The Athletic and everything we're doing to set a higher standard for sports coverage. You know that we put together the best newsroom in sports with the best local team coverage in the game. Plus, we have the biggest national names like Robert Mays, Jason Stark, Ken Rosenthal, Lindsey Jones, and more. You know we're telling stories no other outlet can. So what I'm saying is, you already know The Athletic is worth it. Right now, and on our Black Friday and Cyber Monday, you can lock in our very best price, our deal of the year. $1 a month for 12 months. Go to theathletic.com slash Belmont before midnight on Monday the 29th and lock in our very best price. Again, just a dollar a month for a whole year. So go ahead and get the sports coverage you know you deserve because it won't get any better than this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Uh, we'll finish up here with Dennis Potvin by opening our mailbag. You've got mail. Uh, we've got a great question here, which I did actually even was thinking about asking myself, Dennis. What player in the modern NHL compares most to your style and the way you played? I know the styles of the eras are very different, but when you look at today's NHL, is there a player out there that you say, this guy carries himself on the ice the way that I used to? Well, you know, listen, I, 
I don't think it's an ego thing, but uh, you know, you look at the, you know, you look at the Norris Trophy winners, and uh, you know, if I look at Hedman, uh, I I can't, you know, I look at him and I think, gee, you know, he's got the first ability that you want from your star defenseman is for him to be able to get the puck out of your zone. Yeah. And you obviously need to be able to work with your wingers and your defense partner because there are outlets that change all the time. Sometimes you may be looking one way and it closes. You have to trust that the other outlet is there. And sometimes that pass is not necessarily a pass that you uh, you look at. You know what I'm saying? You're just doing it by trust. And I think that when you see a guy like Hedman in particular, and there are other guys too, you know, that have been outstanding over the years, you know, Duncan Keith, I loved. And here's the reason why, because a guy like Duncan Keith didn't have the size of Hedman, probably didn't have the offense that Hedman could bring, but he moved his feet. If you can't make that pass, if that option closes, the best defenseman on the ice will carry him. And that's what you need. And that's what I see in Hedman and many of the guys that have been, you know, uh, uh, nominated for Norris. And, and the, re- the only reason I say that is because the Norris will basically take three or four or five defensemen in the NHL and separate them from the rest. I, I for a long time, watched uh, Eric Carlson in Ottawa, uh, really in his prime. And I, you know, before that big injury, that, that thing really changed his skating ability. But I remember I was talking to him at one time because I was broadcasting in Ottawa. And I asked him, I said, you know, why, why are you looking just for the pass? So either he had made the pass or he was dumping it off the boards. Mm-hmm. In my view, that's giving it away, you know, even though it's his safe zone. So I mentioned to him, I said, take a look at, at Duncan Keith. Oftentimes, Duncan Keith would take two or three strides and then make the pass. But he was on the move. That's the best defenseman in the game is when you can create from the pass, but you can also have the out that you have the confidence and ability to take that puck, carry the mail, as some of the old coaches used to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely a game that's uh, that values that that skill today. Now with analytics, we kind of moved away from the the big. <laughs> big hitting physical defenseman to having the guys like that, like the way that you used to play, even though you combined both of those elements for sure. You know, I can jump in with the guys in the, I mean, the way they played in the playoffs last year with the Islanders, you know, I tell you what, I mean, that, that core defense they had there were big, bigger and stronger than we were, but the game doesn't call for, you know, the Bobby Orr carrying the puck from end to end anymore. You know, they, they don't want you to do that. And there might be guys able to do it. It happens every now and then. But you're not going to see the Paul Coffey just whizzing up the boards and being able to make a play deep in the offensive zone. The style has changed. So the, the, the demand on defense has changed quite a bit. But not different than our day. Al used to always say, if you're in good position defensively, you'll be in good position offensively. But still, if you're a defenseman, you got to think defense first. I mean, there's that's that's been... For the days of uh, Leo Boyvin to, uh, mm-hmm. to the days of uh, Hedman today, that's got to be the primary concern of a uh, top defenseman. Speaking of Al, we did get one question here. I think is 
pertinent for Islander fans now. Um, what would Al do if you guys were in a, a bit of a funk or a losing streak like the one the Islanders are in right now? What was what was it? What were some of his methods to try to work your team out of it? Well, initially the punishment was one, but again, that was a different time. You know, I don't think a coach like Barry Trotz can take his guys and uh, skate him without a puck for 50 minutes, uh, you know, or, or Al used to love to go to the weigh-in, you know, that was kind of like the, uh, the his, his play card, you know, because then, uh, then you get fined if you were one pound overweight. Uh, that's not what's happening today. I think the challenge for coaches today, which, you know, in my opinion, has got to be greater because you don't have the same guys in your lineup year after year. You know, you got to have core guys, yes, and the you know guys you lean on, but the guys who are going to win you the Stanley Cup are often, you know, the bottom six, you know, and the bottom three on defense. You know, those are the guys that, you know, sometimes will win you. So you've got to deal with characters. And I think it's, you know, a guy like Barry Trotz has done an excellent job of getting into the heads of his players. And I think at this point, he's finding out a way to make them feel happy again, mm-hmm. make them feel like you love this game. You're a pro. You love this game. And just that's the mantra. I mean, if at some times you start not loving what's going on out there, it's, it's a much deeper hole that you're digging yourself in. So I think that's where the, the Islanders have got to be. Um, you know, the play, injuries will happen. Bad goals, you know, mistakes will happen. You got to love being out there. That's your 200 by 85. And one more from back in your playing days. Uh, I'm asked, what was the toughest, who was the toughest forward you had to defend against in your career? You know, I'm asked that a lot. And, you know, I, I will answer it like a Hall of Famer. Okay. <laughs> there wasn't one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, in all seriousness, it, there were various types of forwards. I mean, if, if you had to, if you had to try, and corral Mario Lemieux, it was much tougher than dealing with Gretzky. Gretzky played a different game. He would get rid of the puck even before you could get him, and he wouldn't be necessarily trying to go one-on-one, just watch the tapes. He had this mastery of figuring out the errors and the ice, and he was a great passer. Then he got a guy like Gilbert Perrault. I'll probably kneel toward, or lean toward Gilbert Perrault a player of my era, I played junior against him, big, strong, incredible skater, and he would challenge you every time. He wasn't passing a puck. He was going to either go around you, through you, or some way beat you one-on-one. And, of course, the game was different then because you had 60 feet between the blue lines. So that's a very that's a very interesting stat that you look at because a guy like Guy Lafleur and a guy like uh, Gilbert Perrault and a lot of other guys, they had a lot of time to gather a lot of speed in that mm-hmm. neutral zone. And that made the one-on-one a lot different. And once they reduced that neutral zone to 54 feet, that's where the game started and ended in the corners. You get in the neutral zone, you get center ice, dump it in the corner. And then everybody goes, fights for it. That is how the game has changed. But in our day, I'd say Gilbert Perot was a guy that I had a lump in my throat when I saw him coming up the ice. I'm sure it was, like you said, few and far between. So, and I'll end, oh. I'll end on a good note here. Uh, something to think about. I know it's a challenge to come up with just one moment, but from your <laughs> incredible Islanders career, is there a game or a situation or uh, a moment that 
stands out when you walk into a building like UBS or when you walked into the Coliseum last spring for the last few times that you will always think of whenever you're back on Long Island? Are you asking me the uh, the, the similar moment in my early NHL career or the <laughs> just, moment at the Coliseum? The thing that you think about the most when you think about all your years on Long Island playing for this team and all the success you brought here. Well, of course, you know, one cannot overlook, you know, the team championships. Winning the 1980 on home ice, uh, you know, it's it's hard to beat. I mean, there's no question that, you know, it was great winning all other three and they all had different meanings. Uh, and, and the, you know, the pleasure was just as great. Um, but I got to tell you, I, you know, when you're 19 years old and you step on the ice and Ed Wetfall is in the middle and Phyllis Bezito is on the other team. And, you know, I go into Montreal forum or they come into Coliseum and, you know, Henry Richard is at center ice starting the game for the Montreal Canadians. Um, I don't know that I've ever been that nervous in all my life. And it happened over and over and over again in the first few years. Um, I think, you know, the, the welcome to the NHL period of a young guy's career will always be memorable. And I'm happy that it turned out to be a good year for me in my first year. Well, that's a perfect way to end. Yeah. Two, two incredible episodes of our show with Dennis Potvin. Dennis, just want to say thank you again for taking the time out. This has been amazing. I'm so glad you got to be able to be down here with some of your old teammates for the opening of UBS Arena, despite the results, but I'm sure yeah. it, was, it was a fantastic time for you and, and the old guys there. Well, Arthur, uh, let, me, let me accentuate. The results don't matter. I mean, this this is a home now for these current players and, and the future, and uh, they'll make it a good home. There's no doubt in my mind. Great. Thanks again, Dennis. Okay, guys. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, we'll wrap up the show this week. Uh, wow, that was, you know, if if you're an Islander fan... First of all, it's nice that you're listening to the show. But second of all, I don't know how you could miss having a legend like Dennis Potvin on telling some amazing stories from his playing days, from being at UBS, his unique perspective as the most decorated Islander to ever play in this uniform, I think that's safe to say, and uh, the most important captain they've ever had. So um, unfortunately, we'll close the show talking about the current team, which is uh, disarray is probably too soft a word to describe what's going on now. And it's only got partially to do with what's been going on on the ice. Um, a lot of discontent about the two games they played at UBS this weekend, both losses to Calgary uh, on Saturday in the opener, 5-2, which was really a closer game with two empty net goals, and then kind of a no-show 3 nothing loss to the Leafs on Sunday. Um, I don't really know how well you can assess the team because it's so decimated. There's six players in COVID protocol. Um, Ryan Pollock is out with a broken foot. Uh, four to six weeks. I guess we're down to three to five weeks now for that. Brock Nelson, another guy like Pollock who never gets hurt, uh, had a 316-game consecutive game streak. Um, he went out in the first period after an awkward hit on Sunday. Um, and, you know, nobody's throwing any lifelines here. So 
it's uh, it's about as as dismal as it can be right now for this team. Six losses in a row, all of them by at least three goals. Well, I guess all of them by exactly three goals, which is a streak they haven't had since before Dennis Potvin was an Islander. So, and that's a long time ago because. Uh, 1972-73 in the expansion year when the Islanders won a whopping eight games. Um, and they had a bunch of long losing streaks, including a seven-game one where they lost every game by at least three goals. So uh, this is unprecedented territory for a real, you know, for the real era of the Islanders. And Barry Trotz is, uh, you know, he's pushed all the right buttons over his three-plus years here. You have to give him and Lou Lamarillo some, some deference here and some leeway to try to figure this thing out. Um, but it's, it's difficult to see with them being not that competitive in some of these games, not scoring enough goals, having Josh Bailey, Anders Lee, uh, Ryan Pollock, Adam Pellick, Andy Green, Anthony Bovillier for a game. Luckily he came back because his COVID test was a false positive. Now Kiefer Bellows took his spot on the, on the protocol list, possibly Brock Nelson. These are, these are major guys that are out. Uh, outside of losing a goalie, this is about as devastating as it could be. And, uh, you know, they went a conservative route in terms of adding guys. They they went with two young guys on defense because they didn't really have a lot of choices. So Robin Sallow and Grant Hutton came up for their NHL debuts this weekend. Hutton was fine, didn't play a ton. Sallow looked pretty good, uh, playing a lot. I think he led the team in ice time both nights. So good experience for him, even if he doesn't stick around through the time when they repopulate the roster. And up front... Uh, NHL veterans rather than prospects, I guess. Uh, Richard Ponick and Andy Andrioff came up. Ponick was pretty good, and I think uh, I think he might be a consideration to stay once everybody comes back. I think he he brought a little a little jump to uh, the lineup that has been missing in the bottom six. So I'd have to think. I don't know what sort of roster juggling the Islanders would do, but given where they are, some juggling might be necessary. I don't know. If Lou Lamarillo is going to run right out and make a trade right now, um, even if he was surveying the landscape when Pollock went out, uh, the, the roster situation with COVID is so in flux, uh, it's hard to see where you could pin it down to make a trade. And do you want to give up assets to bring in one guy or two guys when the whole team is is in a huge funk like they are right now? So, um like I said, not a great time. And uh, who's coming around the corner on Wednesday? But the Rangers, who uh, have uh, are wearing horseshoe necklaces these days. <laughs> Everything they touches turns to two points. So, um, it's probably not the best time to see them. And they'll be back. The Islanders will be at the Garden on Sunday with a game uh, the day after Thanksgiving against the Penguins, who are seeming seemingly writing their their slow start. Um, and then a game in Philly next week. So those are four divisional games and all four point games. Uh, the Islanders at the very least need to just stay afloat. 500 would be, uh, acceptable, even if not preferable, uh, six points would probably be this, the sort of trend line you'd want to see to get them back as they work some of their players back from protocol. Um, it's uh, it's a difficult situation right now, and uh, there were some boos at UBS Arena, as you'd expect, going off the ice at the end of Sunday's game against Toronto, which was, uh, like I said, not you know they didn't generate a ton. Um, you know the times that Barry Trotz did try to do something out of his usual comfort zone, like put four forwards out for an early four on three, they got burned on a shorthanded goal by Mitch Marner. So nothing is going right, and. Um, We'll have to wait and see. They were off today, Monday, tomorrow. They'll be back on the ice. We'll see if there's any more 
players in COVID protocol. If that's the case, we could be looking at some postponements for this team, whether we get to that threshold of too many players and too much spread of, of COVID around the room. Um, so you don't root for those kinds of things, but, uh, but I'm sure the Islanders would prefer to have everybody back at full strength before they get back into a, a game. So uh, it was a it was a spectacular opening weekend for UBS by all accounts. I unfortunately was under the weather, couldn't make it to either game, but um, everybody that I know that was there said it was amazing. Good presentation, having Dennis Potvin and all of the Islanders legends out there on the ice and and meeting the fans. I think was a big plus as well. Uh, the building is the Islanders' home. It's plain and simple. It's uh, it hasn't been that way for a long time, and it's really important for the organization to have that. Now they just need to get back to playing the way that everybody thought that they would play this year. And um, it remains to be seen if they can do that. So um, we'll uh, we'll have to see how it all goes uh, in the next week, whether they're playing or not. But uh, we'll be here to recap it all with uh, a new guest host uh, in two weeks' time. Uh, rather, ne- we'll have a new guest host next week. Sorry, my time frame is off. Uh, and it'll be a fun one for more recent Islanders vintage, but someone who got a lot of insight into the league and uh, into the current team and, and some of the players that uh, the Islanders have and have, uh, are playing against. So it's going to be another good, unique perspective on our list of uh, guest co-hosts. So I hope you'll tune in. And thanks for listening to No Sleep Till Obama. Remember, right now, through midnight on November 29th, you can get The Athletic's best deal of the year, $1 a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. Go ahead and get the sports coverage you know you deserve, because it won't get any better than this. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.